Good morning. How's Connect doing? Good? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Listen, I want to welcome uh, you, and if you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Derek, and I'm the lead pastor at Connect. I'm so glad that you're uh, in church this cold morning, but it's warm inside. Praise the Lord. My my extremities are still getting warm. My wife's like, what is that? That's what I call my fingers and toes. I call them my extremities. Uh, they're still getting warm. So uh, anyway, rub up against somebody and just say, you know, come on, warm me, warm me. All the singles getting happy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love this church. It's so cozy. Um, can we welcome all our online viewers real quick? Can we give them a big hand? But let's, but let's take it up another level and let's welcome our Framingham campus. Can we welcome all of them out there? Come on, Framingham. What's going on? Good morning. Hey, listen, Framingham, as you're listening, um, tomorrow, you may not know this, I believe I'm right, tomorrow is your campus pastor's birthday. So you need to make sure you give him a big shout out. Can we give Pastor Chris Mendez a shout out? We say happy birthday to you 24 hours early. Praise the Lord. Anyway, we're so excited to be uh, one church, many locations, leveraging technology to reach as many people as possible. And uh, our vision is to uh, reach seven uh, locations in 10 years. So it's going to get busy around here. Come on, somebody. Anyway, I never wanted to have, you know... um, you know, a big church, uh, just so you know, so it's not about that for me, but I do believe healthy things grow, and I think that um, our church has a mandate to, uh, to reach people in our area for Jesus. There's, there's, there's a lot of great churches, but there's not always a lot of great uh, soul-winning and disciple-making churches, and so we feel called to really take people on um, a life-changing spiritual journey, and so we want to connect people that are not connected to church and then take them on this life-changing spiritual journey. And so we want to do that in more than one location, and we just think that God's going to do that all over the place, and it's going to be exciting. And I hope that you guys would, if you're new here, you would, you know, you would feel a connection to vision, uh, not just a personality or not just a friend, but also to the vision. I think all three of those, and you are in good shape, and you should probably be a part of a church like this, but um, definitely because of the vision. Amen? Well, uh, we're in a series. By the way, um, thank you for your prayers. Some of you at Framingham don't even know me yet, but um, for those of you who've been praying, I uh, had a crazy week. Um, got hit with, uh, I think I had pneumonia about a month ago, and then I got hit with the flu. And so I had just a double whammy. Our house was quarantined. Uh, and uh, my son-in-law is sleeping in the basement because he's got a pregnant wife, Stacy and I, in separate rooms for the last six days. And and uh, we've had some quality time. We've had some quality time. Um, but you know what? It's a strange blessing, and I don't have a lot of time or real estate for this, but there's a strange blessing in suffering. And uh, it just makes you uh, stop and kind of recalibrate and think about things that are important. And I had some great moments with God. So I told my wife this morning, my wife asked me, how are you doing? I said, I'm weak in my body, but I'm strong in the Lord. Amen? So let's... Uh, so you just have to continue to lift us up. We're, um, we're, we're non-contagious, so otherwise I wouldn't be here. I love my church too much for that. But uh, I did want you to know I'm not feeling so great. So, um, But we're in a series entitled The Problem of God, which is based on a book that I read. And I've recommended, highly recommended, and it's dealing with people's kind of top questions 
about God. If you haven't got this book, um, you're crazy. Um, but, but basically, it's helping, it's helping you and I not base our faith just on our feelings, but learning that truth is our friend and that we can pursue truth and we can find it and we're encouraged to do so in the word of God. The truth that you actually know, the Bible says, will set you free. It doesn't mean just intellectually know. It actually means revelationally know. So there's a direct connection between what we believe and who we believe in. And a lot of times we have Christians, many in this room, who know who they believe in, but they're not really certain about or have the the confidence in what they believe. And as a result, our witness or our influence has been marginalized, minimized, you know, short-circuited. And so we're not able to be the salt and light in the world that God has called us to be. So some people uh, are resistant to an apologetic series because they just think it's just going to influence their head. I'm not just trying to influence your head. I'm trying to influence your heart and your head and see that they're both married and they should be in covenant with one another. And when those two are working together, you have a strong influence on the world in which you live, and you're called to be a strong influence on the world in which you live. Is everybody out there with me? Because most people are about three questions away from their belief system collapsing. You just, you just have a couple of, uh, of uh, honest uh, atheists, honest agnostics, honest spiritual people, honest, you know, um, unidentified kind of belief systems, and they just start, these people start asking you questions. Why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, well, um, because he's the son of God. Uh, you know, why, why, why do you believe in creation? Uh, why do you believe in seven little, if you do, why do you believe in this type or that type? And, and well, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And uh, I, I want to be able to sometimes have a question with a question. Well, why do you believe in, you know, uh, you know chaos and randomness producing you? You know, I want to I go back and say, where does morality come from for, for, for you? And I want to have questions for their questions, but I want to have answers for their questions too. Can I have an amen? And so in week one, we talked about the existence of God, the problem of the existence of God. Mark identified 10 top problems. That's not all the problems that people have with God, but the top 10. We're addressing six of those um, in this series. And so week one was on the existence of God. And, um, and then last week we dealt, that was more, by the way, evidential kind of message. A little bit more on the intellectual side, philosophical side. Last week, though, we dealt with the problem of evil and suffering. How many were here for that? Good. And we, and we really identified the problem with evil and suffering is our personal pain is motivating our private convictions. Amen? If we're honest. Before we can get to theology or science or answers for different things, we sometimes have to be honest with what's really going on. But today, we're going to deal with the problem of hypocrisy. The, the problem of hypocrisy. And this is a kind of a moralistic message, another one of these uh, that deals with kind of some heart and relational issues. When I thought about this subject, I thought about this guy. His name is Bill Maher. Show the picture of Bill if you could real quick. I don't know if he's, he's there. Um, this is um, this particular individual who's coming up any second now. Um, he is a, a comedian, and, um, but he's also an atheist. And um, he 
is he's got tons of uh, you know information that's out there on the on the web. But when you show uh, any clip by him, he's typically ridiculing Christians, and um, and so I just I want to show you. I'm going to cut in. We had to we had to bleep out a bunch of stuff. I'm going to show you a video here, but I, I want you to um, I want you to hear some of the rhetoric, and I want you to hear uh, some of the statements that he makes as it relates to those of us who call ourselves Christians. Will you roll that for me? Hopefully. And not to put too fine a point on it, but nonviolence was kind of Jesus's trademark kind of this big thing. To not follow that part of it is like joining Greenpeace and hating whales. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's interpreting and then there's just ignoring. It's just ignoring if you're for torture, as are more evangelical Christians than any other religion. You're supposed to look at that figure of Christ on the cross and think, how could a man suffer like that and forgive? Not Romans are He still has his eyes. <laughs> if you go to a baptism and hold the baby under until he starts talking, you're missing the message. Like, apparently, our president, who says he gets scripture on his Blackberry first thing every morning, but who said on 60 Minutes that anyone who would question that bin Laden deserved assassination should, quote, have their head examined. Hey, Fox News, you missed a big headline, Obama thinks Jesus is nuts. <laughs> to which I say hallelujah, because my favorite new government program is surprising violent religious zealots in the middle of the night and shooting them in the face. <laughs> Sorry, Head Start, you're number two now. <laughs> but you see, I can say that because I'm a non-Christian, just like most Christians. <laughs> and Christians, I know, I'm sorry, I know you hate this and you want to square this circle, but you can't. I'm not even judging you, I'm just saying logically, if you ignore every single thing Jesus commanded you to do, you're not a Christian. You're just auditing. <laughs> you're not Christ's followers, you're just fans. And if you believe the earth was given to you to kick ass on while gloating, you're not really a Christian. You're a Texan. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. So this is this is um, this is what's being proliferated um, through secular media constantly through a lot of different vo voices and uh, mouthpieces. Um, I, you know, if I was to sit with with Bill or you to sit with Bill or whatever directly, I would I would venture to say that the problem isn't um, there aren't you know. The problem that people have isn't that you don't know any Christians. The problem that Bill would have or that a lot of people have is they do know Christians and they don't like them. So, so the issue, the problem isn't so much with God. The problem is with Christians. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, it's quiet in this uh, Baptist church. Okay, so, so for some of you who are, are still here, okay, it's, the problem isn't God. The problem sometimes is Christians. It's, it's how we're representing Christ, you know. Uh, I'm not a Christian, but neither are many of you who call themselves Christians is what he's saying. And there's, there's some truth in validity if you just look at the external, yes or no. 
okay? And so, so people then come into church, and then they get hurt by the church, and, and, and they think it's very different from what it was promoted to be. And so the reality is, and I think that we have to be honest about this, does the church have problems? And the answer is yes. The church has problems. How do we deal with hypocrisy is right out of the gate say, we got problems. We got issues. We say that all the time at Connect. We got issue. All God's church got issue. If you don't think you have issues, that's your issue. That's what we say. Okay? That's, so I just, I'm giving you some of the philosophy to counter or, or, or you know, kind of punch back in a, in a, in a, in a loving way. We're, you're right. There are a bunch of hypocrites. There, is, there are, but underneath that, we're saying there's problems. There's problems. And so most of you don't need someone else's story when it comes to Christianity, Christians, the church. You got your own story. Um, for some people, this, this is really serious stuff. For some, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be physical abuse or sexual abuse or anything like that and all the scandals of the church that have happened over the, the decades. But perhaps it's just somebody you trusted in church and, 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 and they let you down. Maybe you're listening and you're not even in church, but you're listening and you're thinking, yep. Maybe you felt so judged and, and so, um, you know, uh, it was such a condescending environment, you know, that it, it left you very discouraged because you thought the church was supposed to be a place where you've received mercy, love, forgiveness, and it's, you got anything but that. And so as a result, you left the church. Maybe you went to the church Again, tried, somebody pulled you in, and they betrayed you. They betrayed your trust. And I would just say, in many stories, we could, you know, we could, we could um, attempt to address. I would just say, if that's something like that has happened and things that I can't even think of have happened to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that happened to you. Um, in fact, if we're the church where that happened, I apologize as the leader of this church. And for some of you in the Framingham campus that are listening, um, hopefully we haven't done anything wrong in a week, but praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this, we make mistakes. We make mistakes, and we are not perfect. And, um, and I realize, again, the church has let people down, but I think at Connect, if you're a leadership here, your dream team, your staff, your family, uh, at Connect, we've got to own that, that, that there are people that have risked it by coming to church. They came back, and we need to make some things right. And so I think that's the heart of our leadership. I know that's the heart of, of our campus pastors and, and staff here as well. Uh, that's my wife's heart. Uh, we, 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 you know, I, I'm here today because I love people. It would, <laughs> it would be way easier just to stay home, right? I'm here because I'm a shepherd. We love people. So anyway, it, the reality is it probably didn't happen here. So I'm going to make an, an opposite, converse point is it probably goes back a while and it took a toll on you and, and, and something happened and, and, um, and you've given it another chance and you're here. And so for that, we're so grateful. I would say to you, for the person who's listening, who's come back or thinking about coming back, there's no return without risk. There's always, risk is faith. It's just another word for faith. It takes faith. So I want to talk to you about some of the general problems, though. Not the personal, maybe, as much. Um, let's get out of the personal. Let's get into the historical a little bit, okay? Now, Mark Clark addresses in his book some statistics. 
some horrible statistics about Christians, and he's very honest and truthful about them. In fact, one of the things he says that Christian regimes have killed over 200,000 people over 100 years. How many know that's bad? That's really bad. Like some of you are familiar with the Roman Empire and the, the Crusades and all the things that happened all in the name of God, all in the name of Christ, all the way to, let's just say, the Reformation, where you have the witch trials and all kinds of horrible atrocities were taking place during that time. People burned at the stake and things like that. People who claimed to be Christians did some bad things, yes or no. And so I want to say, and I think we, we see this clearly from the scriptures, you should not kill in the name of Jesus, okay? And Jesus taught, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and uh, uh, let, God, let God exercise vengeance. He says, I will avenge, and he will. But terrible things have been done in the name of the church, and this has led atheists in particular to conclude religion, especially Christianity, they would say, is, is abhorrent. And, and you'll hear this kind of tr- um, small-t truth come out of people like Dawkins and, and, um, and uh, Sam Harris and, and Hitchens and all these uh, very well-known, very intelligent um, atheists. Uh, they would say, we should literally just get rid of, obliterate Christianity because religion at the, is, is at the root of all the wrong behavior in the world. That's what they would say. Um, and this attempt to remove religion has, just so you know, it's been there, it's been an attempt to remove religion over all of history. There's just been these different, you know, dips and bends historically. For example, some of you remember when you were in school, you studied the Enlightenment. Anybody remember the Enlightenment period? Uh, during this particular period of time, the, the thought process was we've progressed beyond religion. We can, we can, as a secular society, establish our own moral boundaries and views and, and morality without religion. And the challenge is, if we do that, or when those things are attempted to happen, or when religion is diminished in some way, and we get rid of it all, what is the net result of that? Yes, these atrocities happen in the name of God, but let's just, let's just look at the other side. And this is what Mark Clark does really graphically, and I'm going to just summarize these things. But he basically points out that atheist regimes have killed 100 million people in the last 100 years. So we're talking about a massive difference in damage control. Is everybody up for the snack this morning? Okay. Everybody have our Wheaties. Are we all right out there? Okay, taking notes. I don't know what's going on out there. All right, so during these regimes, if you're listening, you might think, no way, that's impossible. But, but during the Soviet, you know, kind of just the Soviet Union, that was an atheist regime. What happened during that time, these world wars, uh, communist China, uh, the Cambodian Civil War, these were all atheistic regimes. Millions of people were dying during this period of time. Adolf Hitler... Um, named himself a god. Okay, so when you start taking God out and you become God, how many know a lot of bad things can happen? So when you look at atheist regimes and what they've done, yes, it's, it's important to say Christians have done some bad things. But have things gotten better without Christianity? That's the question that I've answered. So, so what's going on? Let's talk about what's really happening here. Um, kind of the... Is it bad? Yes. But is it worse without? Yes. I remember I had an interview with um, 
WBZ, this was years ago, and I was representing our Christian school, and they were asking a bunch of questions. Well, I didn't know this, but they were gonna, uh, there was an interview, it was a live interview. Great, no problem. But then they decided to take live callers because they had a Christian pastor on the phone. I didn't know that was going to happen. It's about six in the morning, like on a Friday. I'm in my pajamas right around the corner here, right over there. And um, wherever the heck I am, I can't remember. I'm disoriented right now. Down there, down there, when I used to live, down the street there. Um, and I'm, I'm in my kitchen, and all of a sudden, there's like, yeah, we've got a live call. And, and these atheists are lining up. And uh, anyway, they start asking all these tough questions. Well, if God is this and if God is that, then why do you allow the, you know, the crusades and all the people that were killed in the name of God? And I just said, you're ascribing that to God, and you should be ascribing it to man. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the free will agency of man has produced the problems of humanity from the beginning to now. Amen. And the guy just, thank you very much. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I didn't even have coffee that morning. Praise God. <laughs> but there's a tension we all live with between, you know, kind of where we want to be and where we are. There's kind of, uh, you know this to be true. There's, in this tension, there's, this, there's the ideal, right? You got your ideal church. You got your ideal family, you got your ideal marriage, you got your ideal boyfriend, you got your ideal job, all those kind of things. And then what? There's the, there's the real. There's the real. This, and what happens is these two parts of us don't always come into congruency. Um, or they don't always stay the same. It's kind of like when I, when I, I remember when I first got a, a new car. And uh, it wasn't the car I preferred. I remember getting a Mercury Villager van. How many know, guys, it's over when you buy the van? (laughs) Your life has changed forever. Something's happened. You're still living in deception, though, because you want to keep that van nice. You drive that van off the lot. That Mercury Villager was sweet, you know what I mean? Uh, Now, when I would hit the, you know, the accelerator... Nothing happened for a good four or five seconds. And then it would go into like hyperdrive, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, it felt like it went backwards. And then the thing would take off. But I can remember, I remember driving it home like, baby, look what I got, you know, crazy. I got leather seats, seen the power of this, power of that. I mean, we got kids. It's, what are you doing? Anyway, but I, again, I was in deception. But one week, not even a week, everybody. Not even a week. The place, the, it, it went from the hot rod to the mobile McDonald's. Come on, somebody. Do you know what I'm talking about? My kid, one of my kids took a rock and wrote her name on the door. I won't mention it, but it's, it's Mallory, okay? Mallory. Hashtag, okay? Yeah, so I went from having a whip to being a wimp, like literally overnight. So there's this big gap, right? There's a big gap between, uh, the, I don't think this is, there's slides there for this, but between the church and, yeah, actually there is, um, between the church, the ideal church, and the real church, right? A lot, for some of you, um, maybe listening, maybe here, maybe in the other campus, um, this is your fifth church in five years because of this 
gap. You, you kind of come into church and you have an ideal picture of what it should be like. You came in the ideal church, but you're in a real church. And those two things don't work out too well, you know? And in six months, this will be your sixth church if we don't learn how to marry those two or deal with that tension. Is everybody with me? Because this is a real church, just, you know, where real people just really want to grow, and we're imperfect, and we admit it, and we just think we're the perfect church for imperfect people. Amen? And so you can have ideal marriage. How many know about that? Ideal marriage, real marriage. By the way, as a pause, why am I doing that? It's a pause. I was thinking about this for some of the old timers, people have been Christians a long time. I'm talking my staff, my pastors, my wife, my kids, everybody. I'm talking top down, me. Um, there's a tendency in this particular message to think it applies to somebody else and not to me. And I just want to encourage you that this is an all play. And really open up your heart to these kind of things. So like when I'm talking about marriage, we can tend to focus on somebody else and not focus on ourselves. We can tend to focus on, you know, something in someone else, not something in us. It never works when we do it that way, ever. Never really. It hasn't worked out very well when I've done that. God, help Stacy. Help her, Lord. Oh, I've prayed 17 hours tonight for her, God, to change. It just it never works like that. You know what I mean? But the ideal marriage, you, I remember ideal marriage, I first got married, I thought, you know, um, my ideal marriage is when she comes to bed, she's going to have one of these real cute little outfits, and I had a picture in my mind what it was going to look like. I'm not going to lie. But she came in a shirt that she wore from the seventh grade <laughs> that could walk to bed by itself. <laughs> and she prayed that it wouldn't matter, right? She prayed she'd have a, you know, and some of you wives, you're like, Did you, you know, you prayed you, you, your ideal husband would have a six-pack. Now he's like, I do, see? <laughs> what? All right, so I'm just saying. Because there's the ideal you, and then there's the real you. Come on, everybody. There's the real you, <laughs> Right? <laughs> See, anybody with a little bit of self-awareness knows I've got this gap. Is everybody with me so far? I've got this gap between the ideal and the real. And between who I should be, who I want to be, who I could be, who's the real me. This gap, this problem is a problem of human existence. It's not really a problem of hypocrisy. It's a problem of human existence. So I want to give you some key points that will help us out here, okay? We're going to go through these fast, five of them. No one knows what to do with the gap. See, what we do is we try. We don't know what to do, but this is what we do. We try to fix it on our own, don't we? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good so far. He's mellow, but I like him. Okay. So we try to fix this problem by ourselves. We try to work on it, we, well, then it doesn't work. So we're going we're gonna to fresh start. We're going to start over again. Oh, that didn't work. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to do something really serious this time. We're going to change locations. We're going to move to another city. We're going to go to Florida. This is one I've heard a lot. All the Brazilians, be quiet right now. I said be quiet. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to get a new husband. 
I'm going to get a new church. Okay? But what happens is the gap returns after you do that. And you know what you feel? You feel shame. You feel distance. You feel dismissal. What is that? Shame is the first stage in this whole thing. There comes a place and a time because of this gap where you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed. You're like, you're embarrassed because of the things that you're doing that no one sees. Or you could even be embarrassed because of the things that everybody sees. You're embarrassed because of the way maybe you treat people. It could be embarrassed because of certain habits that you have in your life. Shame comes. Can I just tell you something? This is, this is one of the oldest problems in the book. Just three chapters into the Bible, shame shows up. They had it perfect. You know, climate control, no snow. <laughs> Come on, somebody, can you feel? I just felt a breath of fresh air just coming in the house. Just, just perfect environment. They threw it all away, right? Just threw it all away. And then what happened? Shame. And then what they do? You know, they distanced themselves and they hid. They duck, bob, weave, you know, hide. Where are you? Where are you? Where? Can't be found. And then God says, what? And what do they do? They, oh, no, 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 no. You know, there's, I didn't do it. She did it. See, then there's dismissal. Then there's, this is what we do too, though. Do you know you have a problem with that? No, I don't. Did you, you know you did that? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. We don't even, we can't even own it anymore. So when we go through this particular cycle, this pattern, what happens is when we're embarrassed, then we get withdrawn, then we live in denial about our own lives, and then Christianity is a real bad at this. This is the next step. This is what happens. Common practice is to point out other people's gaps. I'm just trying to see how, I want you to see how hypocrisy is birthed. Okay, this is, what, this is where it begins. We do this to hide. Uh, and so, so then we cover it in masculine religion. You should see that pastor. He played Bill Maher in church. The guy swore. He said suck last Sunday. Somebody is still upset about that. I was just clearing the house of all religion in the name of Jesus. Okay? You should see my boss. You should see that guy. We should pray for him. That's the classic, right? That's the classic. I'm so glad I'm not like him. Aren't, aren't, aren't you glad we're not like them? What are we doing? Pointing out other people's gaps. And so what happens is this, this issue, this thing collides in a great biblical story in John chapter 8. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I've taught this many, many times. And Jesus meets, sort of, meets this woman who was caught. That's the, that's the kind of phrase I want you to remember. She was caught in her sin. And he's with some people who are really trying to dodge their own shame, their own dismissal, denial, trying to hide from their own, distance themselves from their own mistakes. Is everybody tracking with me? Cover it all up. And so it says in John chapter 8, I'm going to read this to you, some of it. I'll paraphrase a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But the next morning, he was back at church again. little paraphrase there. A crowd gathered and sat down and taught them. And he was speaking, and the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, uh, what happens is they all show up. And uh, whenever they showed up, Jesus, uh, when they showed up, Jesus bowed up. It was amazing as soon as religious people showed up. And and because Jesus was not a fan of people pretending to be um, godly and do things in the name of God. He's not a fan of that. And so it says, the Pharisees show up and they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Turn to your neighbor and say, in the act. Come on, say it like you mean it, in the act. I can't be loud, but you can't. Okay. So imagine that, okay? I don't know if you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try to paint this picture because we're in big church here. There's, there's a woman who's either married or a husband who's either married, and they're having sex. And a pastor shows up at his house or her house, wherever they're having this thing, this little fling, goes into the bedroom and sees them having sex, grabs the woman from the bed, takes her sheets maybe, I don't know, takes her out and brings her to church. This is what's happening in this story. So this would be a good movie, okay? And he, they put her, these religious people and the pastors, put her in front of the crowd. So it would be like me. I know somebody, hold on just a second, guys. I'm going to really spice this service up. I'm going to go across the street here because the Lord just showed me or some spies I have in my church. (laughs) Some intel that I've been developing. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to pull a half-naked woman in a sheet who's having sex. I'm going to pull her right down here. And I'm going to ask, and and they're going to bring, and these campus pastors show up. I'm going to blame it all my campus pastors on. (laughs) They show up. We're going to ask Pastor Derek what he would do with it. That, that's what it would be like. Boosh, there she is, okay? Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now watch this. The law of Moses said to stone her. That was the law. What do you say? Because they wanted to trap him. They wanted him to choose between the Bible and, 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 you know, and, and her. And they, they, they kind of knew. We know you kind of want to side with her, but let's see if I can get you to deny the scriptures because then we'll bust you. And they were trying to trap him and say, to get him to say something to use against him. But he stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger. I love it. That's one of my favorite things. He does it twice. What is he writing? Theologians, the first time, they don't really know. They don't really know for sure on anything. So, you know, maybe he was, you know, too extra large. You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Pizza order, I have no idea what's going on. I, I have some particulars that I think about that. In verse 7, it says they kept demanding an answer because he'd apparently, like, drawn some nice pictures. <laughs> so he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He would always have these, like, drop-the-mic moments, wouldn't he? He's like, you want me to say something? <laughs> you know, it's like a headbutt. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And everything changes here. And I believe, I personally believe he was doing something like this. Uh, let me tell you about your mistress. Well, Susan, yeah. Jane. Because the Bible says one by one, starting with the oldest, they walked away. So either, either they were so convicted 
by what he wrote in the ground or they're so prideful because they wanted to admit, they wanted to say, I am without sin, but they knew that would sound prideful so they wouldn't come out and say something like that. So they walked away. Either one of those two things, something like that was going on. And they all, it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left with the middle, with the, was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So now all the pastors are gone, just a crowd, the woman in the sheet. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, he said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, put this in your notes, bonus. This is just bonuses somewhere. This is what I want you to know for connect. He said this, and I'll just, you can write it how you want, but I'll I'll try to paraphrase. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. That's your first message as a Christian with people who are caught. Did you get that? Don't even worry about the second message yet. The first message when people are in sin is, I don't judge you. I don't even want you to think about anything else yet. I want to make sure that sinks in your brain and in your spirit. If you can be a part of Connect in our church and our culture, we don't judge people. You want to eliminate hypocrisy? Don't judge. Here's our second message. Second message, he goes on, he says, basically he says, but this life, honey, how's it working out for you? You know, guy to guy, you deserve to be treated better. Why don't you stop doing that? Second message, go and sin no more. Make sure you get the order right, church. Make sure you get the order right. So what's going on? Number three, Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Now, you can read a lot about this in the Word of God, Matthew 23. Jesus hated pretenders big time, but he loved this woman, yes or no? He loved this woman. So this is contrast, okay? He honored her. Listen to this. He honored her in her sin. He cherished her in her sin. He protected her in her sin. He didn't judge her in her sin. Did he have every right? Yes, because he was sinless. What was the law? Death. But he, he honored her, he cherished her, he protected her. Lady, sounds like a great recipe for a good guy. But there's a clear distinction in this text between how Jesus treats the woman and how he re- treats religious leaders. Now, I don't have time for this today, but when we deal with hypocrisy, you have to first understand that um, a hypocrite is an actor, is an actor. And transliteration of the Bible, basically, when you try to look at words, English is the, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have English, and so this is our attempt to try to do that. But basically, it's an actor. Some of you guys know the Phantom of the Opera, right? It's basically people wearing masks. Jesus can't stand people who wear masks. He doesn't like people who fake it. And where it exists in church, I assure you, he hates that today. But there's another dynamic, to be fair. There weren't just hypocrites there. There were also sinners. Everybody say sinners. That's us. Everybody say that's us. Okay? That's us in this story. I would submit to you there are a handful of hypocrites in the world, but there are many, many sinners. We all keep running into sinners all of our lives. Now, I have this simple analogy and little to no time to do it. 
um, this is a thermos, as you know. I have, as a gym rat, a hobby and, and passion for working out. And I have um, probably 50 different thermoses in a, in a cabinet. And I was pulling open the cabinet trying to think about what I would say to you. And I would say of the 50, 25 of those don't work. And I would pick those thermoses up and I'd put the shake in there and I'd twist the thing on it and I'd shake it. And I can't tell you how many times that I've shook that. And you know what's happened? All over. So frustrating. So why don't you throw those away? Because I'm trying to find the perfect match because I know they still exist somewhere in there. But anyway, (laughs) so I went and bought these expensive thermoses. This is for my kind of coffee blend that I do. And um, this is like 30 bucks at Whole Paycheck. I mean Whole Foods. And... (laughs) And I remember putting this thing top on, and I'm like, this is beautiful, and everything's going great. And then one day, I put this top on, and I kind of shake it up, and I've got my little collagen protein in there, and I've got my MCT oil, and I've got all these different things going on. And I shake the thing up, and it explodes all over me. I'm like, what the heck? I spent all this money on this thing. I'm so mad. I'm so frustrated. And God showed me, <laughs> eventually, because I almost threw it away. There's a little thing inside here, a seal. If that seal is not inside there, just perfectly on the inside, not the outside. Inside. <laughs> that that won't work. It's a beautiful thermos, isn't it? Functional, gorgeous. But it's worthless without that seal on the inside. And I realize that a lot of people are like that. We have a lot of broken people in our world, and no one knows to, what to do with the sin. You don't even know what to do with the sin yourself, but God does. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, this is what it says. Look, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him, by whom you were what? Sealed, marked, branded as God's own for the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequence of sin. See, One of these things I wrote in my notes is we all have this ideal life. We all have things that sometimes we try to pretend they're going good on the outside. It appears functional, and I'm going to try to put some good things into my life. But as soon as pressure comes, as soon as problems come, as soon as difficulties, adversity hits, life starts to get shook up. What happens is my life's a mess. That ideal world, it just starts to fall apart because I don't, I don't have a seal. I don't have a seal to my life. Something was missing. And so what the world tries to tell us is it's another guy. It's another girl. It's another relationship. Oh, it's, I married the wrong man. I married the wrong woman. It's another job. It's another location. It's another church or whatever. Something was missing, and that's true, but the something that was missing was something on the inside. It was a seal. That's what was missing. You were missing a seal. See, the thermos is worthless, but with the seal, it's priceless to the one who holds it. And that's true for all of us. Life doesn't work right unless we've been sealed. So here's some good news. God doesn't use perfect people. He uses broken people. 
I'm a broken person. And with, due, and with all due respect, so are you. And if you don't think you're broken, you know, um, you will realize it at some point. But what else explains the gap better? Adam and Eve, broken people. They had it perfect in a very short period of time. Their kids messed up bad. One of their kids killed another kid. Half the human population was gone in just a few chapters in the Bible. <laughs> Noah saved the planet in just a very short period of time, built a vineyard, got Friday night drunk, naked, crazy. His kids had to cover up for him. We're talking about people with problems, broken people. Joseph and Mary lost their child. They lost the savior of the world for two days. How many know them some broken people? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? We don't even know that. Two days, they couldn't find the savior of the world, okay? So what's, this, what's kind of the summary of these kind of things? <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Come on, help me out there. Some of the church's history is a history of hypocrites. 100% of the church's history is a history of sinners. Amen? The church is filled with sinners. And if you've got a gap between the ideal and the real, you're going to love it at Connect. Now, for the person who's concerned about, what about the sin? What about the sin? Hey, listen, listen, listen. This is different. This is, this is the final point here. Um, Let's go on here, number five. The forgiveness Jesus offers is not justification for your sin. It's a way through it. So what Jesus did for this woman was a better, remember the order, I love you, I accept you, stop doing what you're doing. When you get the order right, we're not justifying sin, we're actually showing you a better way through sin to overcome sin. This woman, her life was changed after that. Can I have an amen out there? Okay. So I want you to stand to feet. I want to pray for you.